Linda K. Carroll was the mother of two, living in Crestview, Florida. She was very artistic and, as the oldest child, had enjoyed babysitting her younger siblings. On September 25, 1984, she had gotten home from work in the early evening. A few hours later, neighbors heard a scream on their street. This was followed by the sound of a car speeding away. When a friend came by the next morning to pick Linda up for work, she wasn't there. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. Kitty Genovese. Have you heard of her? Unless you were the truest of true crime junkies, you probably haven't. She was stabbed to death in Queens, New York City on March 13, 1964. And although her death was horrible and unfortunate, there were many murders in New York City that year that were just as terrible as hers. What made hers unique were the circumstances. It was her murder that brought into the crime lexicon the term bystander effect. Wikipedia says that the bystander effect is a social psychological phenomenon in which individuals are less likely to offer help to a victim when other people are present. The reason the term came into being due to Kitty's murder is because several people who knew her heard the attack, heard her screaming, and did nothing, not even calling the police. Why? All of them took for granted that somebody else would do it. Not to mention that some of them just didn't want to get involved. Luckily for Kitty's family, her murderer was caught anyway. His name was Winston Mosley. He was convicted of her murder and spent 52 years in jail until he died in prison just last year. Well, the facts of Linda K. Carroll's disappearance are similar. She also let out a scream when she was attacked. Probably several. And that's not hard to imagine given what was found in her house the next day. But the neighbors did nothing, despite them knowing Linda well, and helping her as she tried to live on her own after a difficult marriage. They didn't call the cops. They didn't run to Linda's house. In fact, it doesn't seem they even got up to look out a window. And unfortunately, unlike Kitty's murder, the perpetrator of Linda's disappearance has never been caught. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Goodsight, Charlie Project. Dot org. Linda was last seen going into her house in Crestview, Florida on September 25, 1984. This was after she had been dropped off coming home from work. A while later, neighbors heard screams coming from the direction of Linda's house, although none of these people chose to go outside to see what was going on. These sounds were followed by the rumble of a car or truck, the vehicle was never identified, speeding out of the area. The next morning, a friend arrived to pick Linda up for work but she wasn't there. This person called Linda's mother to see if Linda was staying with her. Her mother said she was not. Due to this call, Linda's sister Cheryl and her mother then drove over to Linda's house to see what they could find. What they found were clumps of Linda's hair lying around her home as if they had been ripped out. They even found her hair wedged in a door jam. There was a solitary glass of water on a table and a note written by Linda to her brother who was supposed to show up at her house a few days before then 
although he hadn't done so. The sheets and blankets for the bed were nowhere to be found, and a small bloodstain was on the mattress near the headboard. Linda had just begun a divorce and custody battle with her husband, Dennis, who lived almost four hours away in Mississippi. Police questioned him about Linda's disappearance, but he claimed he was nowhere near her house at the time of her disappearance. However, later, he had to change his statement. Neither Linda nor her remains have ever been found. Her disappearance remains unsolved. The interview for this episode is with Linda's sister, Cheryl Wheeler. Unfound news. You should all be looking for the special Monday episodes to return. If you're new to the program, these are interviews with people within the true crime podcast community or with experts who can offer insight into police procedure regarding missing persons cases. These special episodes are not case-based. I leave that for the Friday episodes only. I posted about this in the Unfound Podcast discussion group a few days ago, but I'm going to bring it up in this episode as well. I have this very special super secret episode, and it's going to be available on the new website. I want to be able to send it to all of you in a way that is the most similar to how you already receive regular Unfound episodes. But I can't send it through the regular channels because I want it to be a gift to those most devoted to Unfound. If anybody has an easy way to make that happen, please contact me at the Unfound email address. This is an episode with just me talking. Yes, that's unusual. But it's going to give those receiving it a very inside look at a case all of you know about. Finally, I'm going to put this out there because I had such a positive response when I needed transcribers. By the way, the transcribers did a fantastic job for the upcoming books. Really great work. I'm still looking for a cover design for the books. I've looked at a couple submissions from outsiders, and they haven't quite been right. I want the cover to incorporate both the Unfound logo and the pictures of the missing people covered in each particular volume. So, if you're so inclined and artistic, let's talk. Where you can find Unfound. On Facebook, the Unfound Podcast Discussion Group. On Twitter, at Unfound Podcast. On Instagram, at Unfound Podcast. On YouTube, the Unfound Podcast channel. You can email the program, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. You can subscribe at Podomatic, iTunes, and Stitcher. You can also find Unfound on TuneIn Radio. And I've also submitted to Spotify, so look for Unfound there. And please mention Unfound at WebSleuths, Reddit, podcasts we listen to, and all other true crime websites and forums. I'm so fortunate to have on this episode of Unfound the sister of Linda K. Carroll, Cheryl Wheeler. Cheryl, welcome to Unfound. Thank you. Glad to be here. Cheryl, tell the listeners a little bit about your sister, Linda. What do you remember about her? Um, How close were you two? Maybe we can start off with that. How close were you two? All right. Well, she was the oldest of five. I was the youngest, so she was my caretaker most of my life growing up. Um, Both my parents worked, so she was in charge of all the younger siblings. Um, She was the kindest person I know, actually. I mean, soft-spoken, never seen her angry, Um, just pleasant to be around. So your parents had a lot of trust in her. I mean, if you had that many, you had you have a couple brothers and then yes, another another sister. 
Yes, I have two bro- two older brothers and a sister right above me. So that was a lot of responsibility for Linda at a relatively young age. I mean, how many years older was she than you? Ten years older than I was. Ten years older. Okay. but mm-hmm. So she had some responsibility so she could be trusted. Yes. Yeah. They, they totally trusted her with, with all of us. I mean, and we never had any kind of issues either. I mean, she took very good care of us. When she was in charge of the house, was she uh, a disciplinarian or would she say that she was kind of laid back? How would you portray her, her babysitting style? Um, she didn't discipline us, but with the threat of telling our parents, we knew we'd better act right. So I think we were pretty good kids too. So it all worked out good. And you were 10 years younger. So you were, and you were about 13 years old when she disappeared. But going back to that time, even though she was 10 years older, were were you close? What did you, do you remember you two talking about things and what kind of hobbies, interests did your sister Linda have? Yeah, we were, I mean, we were fairly close for that big of an age gap. Um, she was my friend. She she would color and color books with me, and um, we played with her kids a lot together. Uh, she was just a good friend, and I'm sure as I got older, if I needed somebody to talk to, she'd have been the person that I did. What were some of her interests when she was in high school? Was she into any hobbies, maybe into music, anything like that? Um. She pretty much just got through high school. She didn't really do extracurricular, probably because of the responsibilities that she had at home. But um, at home, you know, she she was pretty artsy. She did a lot of drawing and um, a lot of sketching. She loved to dance. She liked music. Um, she she also maintained the house a lot too. So there probably wasn't a whole lot of time to do a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Would you say that you and she were a lot alike, or how was she like? Was she like more like your father, more like your mother? She is more like my mother. Just, just the type of motherly, you know, personality. Mm-hmm. I, me being the youngest, I didn't ever have to take care of anybody until I had my own child, so I didn't really have, you know, any responsibilities growing up. I, I guess I had it the easiest. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you considered uh, your sister linda to be a pretty good role model then oh yes yeah definitely so she went to high school and after high school she got uh married i I guess quite quickly after that how did she and her husband dennis meet um a a friend that she went to school with uh dennis was her her friend's brother and i guess she met you know through her friend Connor, and um she immediately took a liking to him, and it wasn't a very long, you know, uh, dating period before they were married. And I guess a lot of it was my dad was military, and, you know, we were basically fixing to be moving, you know, being stationed somewhere else. And I think that might have rushed things along, too, because she would have been moving, you know. So they would have had to got married. <laughs> Were you, was the plan possibly to move far away? Um, no, I think they were going to stay there. Oh, okay. But Dennis was... Moving back to Florida. Okay. But Dennis was not Linda's age. Actually, he was quite a bit older, wasn't he? What, what else can you tell the listeners about him? 
Yeah, he was he was a lot older than her. He had already been pretty experienced in life. He had already been married and already had a child and already had some run-ins with law enforcement and um, had already been working, you know, had already lived life. She had not done it. She hadn't, hadn't even had a job at that time, you know. So, I mean, she was pretty... Uh, vulnerable, I guess, to anybody that could influence her. And how long did they date uh, before they got married? Probably not even a year. So fairly quickly. Yeah, she probably knew him for a little longer, but when she finally actually like informed my family that she was dating somebody, it wasn't long after that. I mean, it was right out of high school. They were married. I know you were only 13 at the time, 12 or maybe 12 when they met and got engaged and started dating. But do you remember how your parents felt about Linda marrying or going out with a guy that was so much older? Maybe we should be specific. How many years older was he than Linda? He was he was probably about eight or nine years older than she was. So he would have been early to mid 30s at the time. Yeah. And how do your yeah. parents feel about that? They weren't very happy about that. I mean, I guess like most parents, you know, you never think that the person your child chooses is good enough. But I guess just the fact that, you know, he was older and had already been married and had already had a kid and they knew that he had like a minor criminal background. Um, I don't think they were too happy about that. But, yeah, you know, no parent, she was no. happy and, the, and, and there was nothing they could do to, to change her mind. She was determined. She was now an adult. So... So they get married, and not long after that, Linda has her first child, a daughter, Melissa, yep. and then she also had a son, Jason. What yes, can you What can you tell the listeners about her being a mother, being married, being a mother? How was that for her? That was her goal, you know. Um, I guess we were brought up traditionally where you, you know, you're kind of taught, you grow up, you get out of school, you get married, you have kids in a house, and, you know, the typical thing that everybody thought back then that you had to have, you know, that was your goal. And I knew that she, you know, wanted children. I mean, she was very good with us. So, I mean, imagine to her to have her own kids would have been a, you know, high priority for her. She already had a lot and, of training, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, um, and she did, she immediately, you know, got pregnant after they were married and, and had Melissa. And then, you know, it, I think it wasn't even, it was like a like year and a half when she got pregnant with Jason. And where were she and Dennis and the kids living at that time? They were living in Meridian. They and stayed in Meridian. And we made her m m better uh, tell the listeners what state that. Marin Meridian? Mississippi. Okay, and where is that in Mississippi? Southern Mississippi or northern? Eh, it's kind of in the middle, towards the east. More eastern, mid-Mississippi. And how far was that from where you and your parents lived? Four, four and a half hours. So a decent distance. Yeah. Decent distance. When I was a child, it seemed like forever to drive. <laughs> and would you say that she and Dennis and the kids, or was she happy over there? How was their marriage going? They got married in what year? I believe they got married in 79 because Melissa was born... I'm pretty sure in 80, 1980. So she would have graduated in 78 or 79. 
And so they got married. They had children, married for a few years. And yeah, everything's, she seemed happy. You know, she was doing what she thought she was supposed to be doing. She had this man that was, you know, taking care of her. And now she had her children that she was totally focused on, you know, and and had dreams of getting a home and and uh, raising her family. Then 1984 comes around, and that's not just the year that Linda disappeared in, but uh, it was, I would say, maybe a, a, a tough year for Linda and Dennis and the kids. Otherwise, what went on in that time, them coming, having to come back to Flo- uh, Florida, Crestview, what, what happened in that time? Yeah, and um, probably the end of 83, they moved from Meridian, Mississippi to Crestview, Florida. They moved in with my family, which we were already had, you know, a full house in our house. But, you know, it was for a temporary place for them to stay until they got their own place. And that was their goal was to, to buy a home. And she immediately started going through the process of finding a home and, and purchasing it. And that's what she did in the beginning of 1984. She bought a house. Her and Dennis bought a house and. That was, she was going right along with her plan. And what did you see as a 13-year-old in their marriage while they were living with you? How would you uh, portray their marriage? Now that you're a grown woman, you're a mother, children, married, how would you view their, their marriage? Um, controlling. Um, I didn't have a lot of interaction with him, but he was very controlling on uh, who she talked to and uh, when she came to visit. Um, they didn't have a phone in their house ever that I know of. So, I mean, it wasn't like she could call anybody when she wanted to. He would have had to have made arrangements for her to get to a phone because she didn't drive. She didn't have a driver's license. So she was basically when Dennis went to work and his work record was not as solid as you might like for a married man. But so if he went to work, she was basically stuck at home. Yes. Yep. Doing the housework and taking care of the kids. And that was, you know, all that was in. And I think that, you know, she, like anybody, you would want to socialize, you know, you would, you know, kind of long for that, you know, have an adult to talk to you after you've been around kids all day. But I didn't really see a whole lot of interaction between them either. When he came home from work, it wasn't, like he gave her, you know, 100% attention. He did his own thing and she continued taking care of the house and the kids. And at some point, though, Dennis decided being that he was had roots in Mississippi, he decided even after they bought a, a house in Florida that he wanted to move back to Mississippi. What happened there? Yes. <laughs> I've never, you know, asked her because at 13, I I wasn't really paying attention to that kind of stuff. But I feel like she probably had a little bit more feeling of, I don't know what you would call it. You know, like when you're in your own territory and it's your family around, you probably feel like a little bit, like a little bit stronger willed person. And I think he sensed that in her. And I think that that's why he wanted to go back to Mississippi that's where all his friends were. That's where he knew, you know, everybody and lived there most of his life. And um, probably felt like he could have more control over there. 
So it wasn't for work reasons or anything else. It was maybe he yeah. felt that he could get her <coughs> back into Mississippi. Yeah. and He didn't work any particular type of job. It was just pretty much whatever he could get. He job jumped all the time. I'm not sure how he lost his jobs or if he quit or what, but he went through quite a few of them just in the little bit of time that they were in Florida. So Linda didn't want to go. So what happened? She refused to go. And um, they had been having some difficulties in their marriage over that situation and possibly some other issues, which I'm not sure about. And he wound up taking the kids and leaving, trying to force her to go with him back to Meridian, Mississippi. And in fact, he did this while she was in the shower one night. Is that right? Yes. He, yes, she was devastated. Um, he had told her that they were going to go out to dinner, which I think was one of the things that she was wanting them to be doing to repair their marriage. You know, I think that was a complaint. And um, he had told her that he was going to take them all out to dinner and she was really excited, you know, and she went in and got a shower. And when she got out of the shower, him and the kids were gone. He had packed some clothes and a bunch of pillowcases and took off to Meridian. And when did she realize that he had taken them to Mississippi? I mean, did he call her later or did he leave a note or? Um, I guess Any immediately, idea? you know, she knew that he had packed clothes. She knew where he had went because that's where his mom was living at so he didn't have anybody here in florida that he could go live with you know so she she knew that he went back to meridian she kind of put two and, and two together yeah and she had the neighbor that let her have access to the phone so i'm sure, sure she made phone calls that night and and located him and when did this happen we have to remind the listeners maybe that she disappeared in uh, in on september 25th 1984 but when did he take off with the kids um i would say the end of august the beginning of september so it wasn't long before maybe three weeks before maybe possibly yeah. a month before yeah, because she had only worked at her job that she had gotten for three weeks before she disappeared. So, yeah, I would say the end of July or the end of August is when he left with the kids. And so what did Linda decide she was going to do? You just mentioned that she had a job. That was something, I guess, new for her. Maybe yes. some, you know, trying to branch out, you know, gain her own kind of independence. What did she yes, decide that exactly. she was, what did she decide she was going to do? She decided that she was going to stay in Crestview, Florida and keep her house. She decided that she was going to get a job and she was going to fight for custody of her kids. And um, that's exactly what her she started doing. And that's exactly what she was doing when she came up missing. And she was going, she had gotten a lawyer and she was going to great, ex, great lengths to make sure that she could pay for this lawyer, wasn't she? I mean, she was really making some sacrifices to get her kids back. Yeah, she was. Um, she was taking her whole paycheck and giving it to the lawyer. She was living without water and electricity. He had had the water and electricity cut off, I guess, you know, to make it more difficult for her. And she lived there with, without that stuff and chose to spend her money to the lawyer. And she didn't own a, quite own a car yet, but she got her license. Yeah, she got a license. Um, she had her goals. I'm sure she, you know, her plan was to one day get a car. Um, 
but uh, she got her license and she started communicating with people in the neighborhood who she had, you know, become familiar with and, and figured out that she could, where she could get a job and how she could get back and forth to that job. Yeah. And we should mention that for a second. How was she getting back and forth uh, to this job that she got? Um, with one of the neighborhood guys that had been friends with Dennis, um, he had been hanging around the house, uh, you know, just out in the yard with Dennis or whatever, you know, become friends. And I guess he kind of saw a little bit of how their relationship was. I think he may have had a little bit of sympathy for her. But this was a friend of Dennis's. Yes. At any time in this in this time, if maybe if you talk to her, maybe she talked to your parents. And I know she, um, you have other siblings that she might have talked to. Did she ever express any fear of Dennis? Anything that she thought that something bad might happen? Do you know that, um, you know, was he ever abusive to her when they were together? I know maybe mentally controlling, but anything physical? Um. I never seen anything physical, but there are witnesses um, that live in Crestview that seen physical abuse. And she would have kept that a secret from my mother. And so she, there's no way she would have told one of us siblings, you know, because we would have told my mom. And it was probably a lot of it was probably pretty embarrassing, too. You know, I mean, I you have to tell your mom that she was right, you know. Right. And even to this day, 2017, there are many women who are being abused who never tell anybody. That's true. Because yep. sometimes it is because of embarrassment. And that's that's unfortunate. Yep. A lot true. of times they feel like it's their own fault. You yeah. know, that they deserved it. So, you know, I'm not sure what mindset she was in, but I could understand it. <laughs> but she uh, but in your mind, it's pretty clear that she had no intentions of going back to Mississippi. She was going to stay in Crestview in that house, and she was going to get a divorce, and she wanted to get her kids back. And the kids' yep. names we should mention for the record are Melissa and Jason. Yep, that was her goals at that point. You know, her life had changed, and she made new goals. So we get to September 25th, 1984, and... What are the facts of that day? What do you know about that day? What is everything that has come out since then about that day? What can you tell the listeners? Okay, she um she had had already previous arrangements with the Dennis's friend that was giving her a ride back and forth to work. You know, he would come every morning and pick her up and give her a ride home. I know that occasionally he drove her to run an errand or two if she needed to, but the majority of errands were ran uh, by my brother who would come from Niceville, Florida, and take her to run the errands that she needed to run. And they had a preset arrangement on what days he would he would come to, to Crestview to do that with her. And so she went to work that day, and, what, and Dennis's friend uh, picked her up, brought her home. What time do you think that she got home? And then what happened, as far as you know, later, the neighbors heard some things, not sure how much they saw, but she gets home uh, maybe sometime after five. And what happens after that? Um, not really sure what her all her activities were that day. Um, the neighbors had seen her. The neighbors that were letting her use the phone and um, was letting her hook up an extension cord to their house. And um, so they had seen her when she came home from work. So we know that she didn't make it home from work. Um, 
after that, it was probably about, it was sometime in the evening when the neighbors are saying that they heard screams coming from the house, screaming and yelling, and they heard a car speeding away. And, and, what, and what'd they do? Nothing. Do you know? <laughs> nothing. They didn't do anything. Nobody looked out the window or anything. Um, I guess, it, it, you know, maybe to them it was something normal they heard. I don't know. But they didn't look out the window. They didn't go check on her. And it wasn't until the next day when the guy that was giving her a ride showed up at her house to pick her up to take her to work. And she wasn't home. Wasn't home. Let's just, I want to just clear up a couple things maybe before we move forward. Uh, to your knowledge, the neighbors, neither one on each side of her, even though there are some reports out there, to your knowledge, you're not really sure whether they saw a car or not. They really maybe just heard a car, but not so much saw one. Right. I, the more the reports are that the car was heard, but not, not seen. So it could have been, possibly could have been a truck, could have been a car. Yes. And in fact, it could have just been a car going by and that car didn't stop at Linda's house at all. We're just not sure. True. They, uh, the only thing that is said is that the, uh, they heard a car accelerating away. Mm-hmm. And how close are the neighbors, do the neighbors on each side of Linda live? How close are they? Um, I'd, I'd say about 10 feet. So the houses are very close together. It probably wouldn't have to make be a very loud scream or, or any other thing for yeah. the neighbors to hear. Their, her yard was more front yard and backyard and not really much side yard. So as you said, the next day, uh, this friend of Dennis's who uh, was giving Linda a ride to work shows up. He's not there. And then your family finds out that uh, she's not there. You know, he suspects maybe that she was over at your, your house, your mother, parents' house, yes. but she wasn't. And yes. so what'd you do? That's what alerted us that, you know, something wasn't right because we knew that she was working now and she was excited about it. And, you know, starting this new part of her life. So um, my mom loaded me up in the car and we drove to Crestview. We were living in Pensacola at the time. So we drove from Pensacola to Crestview to go see where she was at. And when we got to the house, um, we went into the side door. That was The side door was the door that she used uh, off of a carport. And um, when you walked in the door, she had a picnic table style type dining room table right at the, you know, carport entry door. And she had her clothes folded up in line, ready to go to work, you know, to be able to dress in the dark. It was all there laid out. Um, As you went farther into the house, you started seeing hair everywhere. Um, Did Cheryl, I'm sorry, did Linda have long hair? I mean, was it easy to see? Long hair? Yeah, she she had long hair. It was like a reddish strawberry blonde color. Um, it was probably in the middle of her back. Uh, and it was long strands. It wasn't cut hair. You know, it was root hair. Uh, it started getting more hair as you went farther into the house towards the bathroom and hallway. And um, as we went through the house, we went through the kitchen and we went down the hallway, started seeing hair everywhere. Um, we went back to her bedroom, and her mattress was pushed slightly off of the box spring, probably like a foot, foot and a half 
you know, pushed off. Um, there was a little bit of blood at the top of the mattress. The bed was stripped. No sheets, no pillows, no comforters. So it's um, so it's just a just like a mattress, like you'd yep, see a like a mattress. like a mattress store, just a bare mattress sitting on a box spring, and that was it. Yep, and and then the you know mattress being pushed off the box spring a little bit, you know. Okay, and you you and, mentioned some blood. How how big would you say this? I mean, would you call it the size of a quarter, the size of a half dollar, bigger than that? How big? I'd would say you? like three inches, three and a half inches. You know, not a perfect circle, but you know, a spot. That's that's that, that's a decent size, okay. Mm-hmm. But we you you don't know if it was made though the night before. It could have been there a week before. You just don't know though. Yeah, we had no idea about the blood. No idea. Okay. So what else did you see? Okay, so when we come back out of a room and we're coming back through the house, um, we notice that there is a a bunch of her hair stuck behind the the door plate where the door shuts to the wall. The little metal plate that the you know the doorknob thing catches into mm. and shuts the door. The bolt goes into, yeah. Yes. Her hair was really far back up in there. It wasn't just like, you know, hair brushed by and caught onto it. It was wedged in there. You had to get a screwdriver to get the hair out. Um and that would be considerable lower than how Linda how tall Linda was. So it would almost have to be like she was on her knees or something for her hair to even get in there. Or a carrion, you know, somebody okay. carrying you height, you know, waist high. That's a good point too. Um, yeah. Um, when you come out of that room, that was the first bedroom in the hallway where the hair was in the door plate. Um, you go into the living room. She had the couch in front of the front door, but it looked like it was purpose- purposely put there. Because it was kind of like everything was arranged, you know, for that couch to be there. I think it was for a security reason. This was the first time she was living by herself, much less with no power. So I'm I'm pretty sure that's, you know, her intent was to have, you know, not so many accesses in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just kind of her way um, to interior design. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, and and probably like I said to. To just kind of like not have to worry about that entryway if she had it blocked. Being by herself, you know, I'm sure she probably got a little spooked. I still do now, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was a, a glass of water sitting on the dining room table. And there was also a note laying in the um, kitchen that was to my brother. But other than that, everything else was where it was supposed to be. She didn't have a lot of stuff. Um. She didn't have like knickknacks and stuff like that everywhere. It was just kind of plain, just basic stuff you need in your house. So not a lot of maybe pictures on the wall or little figurines, you know, maybe got, you know, people might get, you know, going on vacation or something like that. Nothing, nothing, nothing like, like, nothing like that. I mean, a few odd men things, but not like, you know, after you live somewhere for a while, how you start accumulating stuff. It wasn't like that. All right. I want to ask you about the the note and a glass of water here in a moment. But, you know, as a 13-year-old, uh, I mean, that had to have been a huge moment in your life. And not maybe, yes, it's because your sister disappeared, but uh, that had to be a seminal moment in your life. You not knowing well, what to I, expect showing up there. 
was it I didn't really realize how important it was at that moment, you know. Um, at 13, I was thinking she was just somewhere, you know, she's going to come back. I wasn't thinking anything bad had happened to her, and I didn't really know anything about missing people. So that wasn't even my thought when we were going through the house. I'm not sure exactly what my mom's mind frame was. I know she was concerned because it was out of character for Linda to not be there or let somebody know where she was at. But um, I didn't realize how important it was until I got older. And your mother probably was, did have a lot of fear inside of her, but she probably didn't want to display that to you as well. Oh yeah. She, she hid her emotions from us quite a bit through the whole ordeal. I mean, she kept us on a normal routine and uh, she, she had her issues alone. She didn't do, really do it in front of us. Um, it was hard on her. And that to me, I cannot say anything about my mom that, I mean, we still had our lunch money. We still had clean clothes to go to school. You know, we were still at school on time, but she was also dealing with this too. That that takes a strong person to be able to do that. I don't know if I could continue doing that with all the other children and and have this going on also. Yeah. But she did. Yeah. So there was the glass of water that, uh, where was it in the house? And this is going to become important a little later, but where was it in the house? Was it in the kitchen? Was it in the bathroom? It was on the, it was on the dining room table in the, in the kitchen area as you walked in the door. And was there any water? I guess there was water in it. Yeah. It was just like one of those little short, short juice cups, you know, probably had, you know, a couple of drinks in it, you know, just little sips. It wasn't a big glass of water or nothing like that. And also this note, uh, by the time that the listeners are hearing this, they will have seen the, the picture of the note because you have the original copy. The police do not. Uh, yes. You have it in your – maybe you have it in your possession or maybe somebody else in your family has it in their possession. But your family, it's in their possession. Yes. And I've already uh, put it online. Some people have seen it, and it will continue to be up there for anybody who wants to find it. It's a note that's to one of your brothers, and it has to yes. do with your sister going to a laundromat in another town. And from what I understand, it's a very little town. What can you yeah. tell the listeners about that? And yeah, we'll just leave it at that. What can you tell the listeners about the note? Um, it really didn't make any sense to any of us as to why she would go to Baker to do laundry it was a 35 minute drive away 40 minute drive away and it was a very rural farming community i mean it, it had a caution light and that was it you know a laundromat and a store little convenience store it wasn't anywhere you'd go to leave town to go to you know to do shopping or anything so it never made any sense to us and the fact that she didn't have transport transportation was also another issue Yes, yeah, so this note talks about how she left it for, addressed it to your brother. And what do you think this had to do with in the first place? It's a little odd because it was a couple of days later, but as you had already mentioned, your brother would go over there sometimes and help her, pick her up, take her to run errands. But this was not on the, the note was found on a day where your brother was not supposed to be there. 
Where do you right. think that note came from? I know you have some maybe ulterior suspicions, but uh, maybe you can explain the listeners uh, that to the listeners. Well, on the day that he had had arranged with her to come to town, um, in the note it says Sunday, um, she wasn't there. So I think by not being able to talk to him and arrange another date, she was thinking that he might come the next day, you know, instead if she wasn't home, you know, to get up with her. So I think that note was written to him thinking that he might show up. And uh, she was asking him not to leave to stay there, and she was apologizing for not being there Sunday. But the note is written like she's in a hurry, and it's on a scrap piece of paper, you know. It's like out of a book. Um, yeah, it's not on a piece of notepad paper with lines or anything like that. She actually went to a book and ripped a page out and wrote it. Yeah. Yeah, there was no paper in her house for her to write on, so I think she just found the only thing that she had enough room to write on to, to leave the note for him. To your knowledge, on the day that she disappeared, was your brother supposed to go over there and see her or, or, or not? No, he had just figured that since she wasn't there on the previously arranged day on that Sunday, that he would just, you know, go the next, the next week. Um, I'm not real sure. Cause I mean, you know, she didn't have a phone and he didn't have a phone. So they were just kind of, trying to figure each other out i think you know she left the note just in case he did show up so it is possible at least conceivable that uh, september 25th was a tuesday correct tuesday yes and so two days before that your brother was supposed to show up maybe but he didn't show up but she wasn't there Right. So, so he, he didn't, didn't, she didn't, didn't know, know that he didn't it. show yeah. up. Okay. Yes. All right. Yes. It's, it's hard for, I think maybe in 2017 <laughs> terms to talk about this because everybody has cell phones and we're yes. constant contact <laughs> with everybody. So we have to explain this in 1984 terms. Yeah. Um, but it is maybe odd that she left the note sitting there two days later. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, usually, you know, if you come home and the note's still there, you would probably throw it away. And to your knowledge, do you think it's she, does it look like her handwriting for this note? I think it does. Uh, it doesn't look like the, her typical handwriting. I mean, she, one of the things that bothers me the most is the way she signs her name. Um, like I said, Linda was very artsy and she always wrote her name in, you know, these fancy the L was always like this fancy, flowy L, you know, and it's just weird to see her name printed like that and then have the little letters and a capital A and stuff. It just, it's just weird to me to see that because I've never seen her write like that before. And I hope the listeners uh, will check that out. Uh, did you ever ask your brother, was it common for her to leave notes for him? Had he ever gotten yeah, a note he, in that time that he was going over there maybe to help her run errands this, ever before? This was the first time, the first time um, ever a note, and it was the first time that she ever would have not been there when he went. I mean, she, right. any of the other times that they had the preset time for him to come to, you know, take her to run errands, she was always there and he was always there. And the note said that she was going to this town of Baker, to your knowledge, to your family's knowledge, to anybody's knowledge. Did she ever end up going to Baker two days before or the day before or to that laundromat? Any, to your knowledge, had she ever been in Baker in any of the days or weeks 
leading up to her disappearance. We have never heard anything verifying that. What did the police do? Not a whole lot of anything. Um, at that time, like I said, you didn't really hear a lot about missing people, especially missing adults. Um, in their mind, she, she just ran off and was going to show back up. So the house wasn't really treated like a crime scene. I mean, there were, I, I know there were things in that house that they could have taken as evidence. That note for one would have been one that I would have taken, but, um, I can't speculate what they were, what they had going on in their mind. <laughs> but she's an, an adult. And even to this day in 2017, we run into situations where the police don't take disappearances as seriously as they should because people are adults. If they want to run off for a few days, yeah, they can do people that. People do do that. You know, they do do that. And we had to convince them that, that that's not something that she would do. And after convincing them is when they finally realized that something wasn't right. So then they started backtracking and questioning people. Did they ever take any fingerprints, for example, on the note? Did they ever take fingerprints off the glass of water? You mentioned the blood on the mattress. Did they sample any of that? To your knowledge, was it any? did they do any of that? Um, no fingerprints were taken. Uh, they did take the, they cut the blood out of the mattress. They did take that and they did gather up all the hair and put it in a Ziploc bag. And they never were interested in the note. So they didn't do a lot. They could have done yeah. quite a bit more. All right. Yeah. Certainly. And the, these are days before the internet and cell phones. So they couldn't have done anything like that. Yeah. What's Dennis's story? Um, he was at some point contacted to be let known that his wife uh, had disappeared. Uh, how did he find out? What did he say? What did he do? Um, my parents were the first person to contact him because, you know, when they're trying to find Linda, that's the first person they're going to check with, you know. So um, they get in contact. I don't know if they got in contact with Dennis directly or his mother. But as soon as they were informed that Linda wasn't in Meridian, um, that's when they started pushing law enforcement even more to get involved. And the first people that law enforcement talked to was Dennis. They went straight to Meridian and questioned him. And he denied knowing anything, and he denied being in the area at the time. And Meridian in Mississippi, as you said before, is three or four hours away. Mm -hmm. And what did he say, at least at the time, was his alibi? What did he say he was doing on the day, if not the night, that Linda disappeared? I don't think he had an alibi. I think he just, all they did was question him, was he in Florida on that date? And he said no. And without any kind of other evidence, you really couldn't force him to sit down and talk with you. Did he make the claim that he was helping his parents move or something yes, like he, that? He, he had been in the process of his parents were moving from Mississippi, Meridian, Mississippi to Tennessee. And he had been in the process of moving uh, them back and forth. And the last place that he had been that night or that day was Tennessee. Um, when he left Tennessee and wound up in Florida, he didn't tell anybody that he was leaving. He just was gone. And 
he showed up in Meridian, Mississippi. So eventually you did find out, you, the police, I guess, as well, that he did end up in Florida the night that Linda disappeared. But how did you find that out? How did the police or maybe you find your family find that out? His sister um, knew that he had drove to Florida. So when she was questioned the same time Dennis was questioned, you know, the same time period, she told law enforcement that Dennis did go to Florida the night of September 25th. So when they went back to Dennis and questioned him again about it, he then admitted that, yes, I did drive to Florida. Um, I went in the house. She wasn't home. So I got back in the truck and I drove to Mer- back to Meridian, Mississippi. Now, geographically, it would Crestview, Florida be on the way between wherever he was going in Tennessee and Meridian, Mississippi? Would he, or would he have to go well out of his way to end up at Crestview? He would have had to go well out of his way to go to Crestview, Florida. In fact, probably several hours out of his way. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we're way south from Meridian, you know, so he would have had to came all the way down and then went all the way back up. Yes. And Crestview, along with Pensacola, Mm -hmm. Baker that we mentioned, the town Baker, those are all up in the panhandle of Florida. In fact, I believe they're so far West in Florida, they're actually in the central time zone. They're not in the eastern time zone. They're in the central time zone. Yes. Were this were his kids with him, or did they stay with his parents in Tennessee and Meridian or in Meridian, Mississippi? Anybody know anything about that? When he was going back and forth helping them move, were the kids with him? Um, during all the years, we never knew for sure whether the kids were with him that night or not. But in the police reports, it states that. The kids were with him because he, he when he left Tennessee, they came back with him to Meridian. So, And at some point, I don't know how far along this was after Linda disappeared, he was asked to take a lie detector test. And what happened regarding that? He agreed to take the lie detectors test. Um, they traveled up to Meridian, Mississippi. They got him in a vehicle to drive him to the the police station, I'm assuming, where they were going to do the test at. Um, When they got in there and showed him the questions that he was going to have to answer, uh, he refused to take the test. And since that time in 1984, did he ever make any statements to the police? No. Never made any contact with the family. Never made any contact with the law enforcement. Never had any concern if that she was ever found or where they were at in her case or anything like that. Getting back to his sister for a moment, do you believe that he, I guess you could say, did she rat him out uh, on purpose or do you think that was by mistake? I think she just wasn't going to let him lie when she knew the truth. Linda was her friend before Linda was his wife. He may not have confided in her what happened. But she, she'll tell you to this day that she knows that he was involved. She just doesn't know the information, you know, the details of it. So after a while, I guess you could say that uh, things kind of died down. Police didn't do much. 
Maybe it's possible that Linda ran off, although with the evidence there, with the hair and everything else, that's hard to imagine. But mm-hmm. things just kind of died down. Your your family, you, of course, are 13, become a young woman. People go, you know, graduate high school. People move on. Yes. Um, what does Dennis do in those years? Did he does he stay in Meridian or did he move to Tennessee? Of course, he has the kids with him. What what goes on in those next, let's say, next decade between nineteen eighty four and maybe the mid nineties? Well, when he was in Meridian, after Linda, you know, shortly after Linda had come out missing, you know, my parents were, you know, wanting to see the kids. You know, um, he didn't he didn't like that idea, so he kept them from us. And uh, he kept moving. Anytime we tried to make contact, he would move. Um, he wound up moving to Tennessee, and um, we kind of didn't contact him anymore then because we didn't want him to move. We wanted to know where the kids were at. Did he ever get married again? Did he ever have any other kids? Did he have any girlfriends? Do you know anything about any of that? I know that he had had girlfriends. But he never got married again, and he never declared Linda dead. Um, he raised the kids up, telling them that she had abandoned them. He never told them that she was missing. So their whole life, they just thought their mother didn't want them. Yeah, um, we, yeah we, we have an interesting story uh, regarding that, and I want to get to that in a moment. But he never got married again, never had any kids again, just kind of moved on with his life. Um, he, le- he lived a hermit life. He... Um, he worked in a tobacco field and he had his little circle of drug friends and that was about all he did. And the kids pretty much survived on their own. And so it, it, it doesn't take, I guess, Sherlock Holmes or Columbo to decide at this point that uh, Dennis is a very viable suspect in Linda's disappearance. But at the time, you know, she did have this guy who was driving her back and forth to work. Might have been interested in her. You know, mm-hmm. of course, he knows what's going on. That he, she and Dennis, maybe, you know, she's probably confiding in this guy as they drive to work. Hey, I'm divorcing Dennis. And maybe he, this guy might have some interest in, in Linda. Do you, to your knowledge, although technically she was still married, you know, were there any other men in Linda's life? Attractive young woman. I was told that there was a coworker that she had started talking to. And, and nothing ever came from that. It, I mean, from the time that Dennis left to the time that Linda came up missing, we're just talking a few weeks. Um, she didn't really have a whole lot of time to do anything. She was just now starting to socialize and, and realize that, she, you know, she could have a life. And it was probably pretty exciting for her, you know. I could only imagine. I I agree with you. And being that those other neighbors live so close, did they ever see any cars in her driveway of anybody stopping over? Do, do you remember ever remember anything like that uh, back in 19, yeah. 1984 after she disappeared? No, she um, went to work and came home. That was it. I mean, she she the neighbors helped her out, which, you know, the neighbor lady that was letting her use the extension cord and use her phone, um, they had become, you know, friends. And I'm sure Linda had confided in her a little bit to a certain extent. But Linda pretty much kept her business to herself. 
So we come up to 1997, and that is, uh, of course, 1984 is a big year in your family's history due to her disappearance. But 1997 is another big year. What happened that year? What did you do? What, you, what did your mother do? And this is in regards to Linda's two children, Jason and Melissa. My mother and I had decided that since Melissa would be 18 years old at that time, that we would go try to make contact and find them. Um, cause she wasn't sure how they were going to react. Um, she wasn't sure what they were being told. Uh, so we drove to the last place that we knew that they had been living. We went to that town, we spread out, we started asking everybody, did they know a Melissa or Jason Carroll? Um, I went into a grocery store and one of the cashiers happened to know Melissa Carroll. And she informed me that Melissa was now married and that her name was now Melissa Hornsby and that she was married and she was in the telephone book, which was a very emotional mm-hmm. <laughs> moment at that time. You know, we finally now knew she was, we were in the same town as her. That was very exciting. So we ran to a telephone booth, grabbed the phone book and looked her up and called her. Uh, it was a very awkward conversation. Um, I'm assuming she was assuming that her mother was with us. Um, that's who she was expecting to come in the door along with, you know, her grandmother, which would be my mother. And uh, when we arrived at her house, um, it was like meeting strangers. You know, she was five years old. The last time we saw her, she didn't have a whole lot of memories of us. And we started showing her the news articles and everything of her mom missing. And she was kind of in shock. And why was she in shock? Because she had been told that her mother abandoned her. She thought her mother was living in Florida, living her life. While they were up there struggling, you know, taking care of themselves, basically. That's certainly a story I can't imagine being in Melissa's shoes at that point. I just can't imagine it. I imagine it would be pretty confusing for her. There's no way that I could know because I've never been in that situation, but... I try to understand, and it would it would be pretty traumatic. And this was a a ruse perpetrated by her father, Dennis, and, yes. and he didn't just do it with her, but he did it with uh, her, his son Jason as well. But mm-hmm. Dennis even went further than that, and he would pretend. Dennis would pretend that Linda was coming, yeah. and tell tell yeah. that story. He would tell Melissa and Jason that they were going to drive over to some specific location where their mother was going to meet them, you know, either visit with them or they were going to go visit with her, you know, something like that. He did it on more than one occasion. And they'd drive over to where he says they were going to meet at. And when Linda wouldn't show up, he would tell them, see, your mom don't want you either. And that had been very devastating for them as children. I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine doing that to your child either. Not once out of Dennis's mouth did he ever say to them that their mother disappeared. Whether he had anything to do with it or not, he never told them the truth. No. And he knew she was missing. I mean. Of course he did. Yeah. Law enforcement made it clear to him that she was a missing person. At this point. The listeners are probably wondering, 
if that's the case that Dennis was lying to these two children for you know over a decade yeah uh, the sister you know, kind of I guess you could say ratted him out back in 1984 when he said that he wasn't in Florida when he actually was of course Dennis has parents who know what happened what do you think it was that none of them actually kind of pulled Jason and Melissa to a side and said you know your your mother disappeared do you have any insight into that I don't I don't know if they had fear of Dennis or if they were told not to discuss it but coming from Melissa and Jason their mother was not discussed a whole lot growing up in their life by their other grandmother or by their aunt Connor or anybody up there in Tennessee it just wasn't discussed and aunt Connor yeah. is the, and aunt Connor is the sister of Dennis the one that ratted him out back yes. the time okay yes I think it's just interesting on one hand, you know, she told the truth and saying where uh, her brother was. I mean, it's I guess it's conceivable if she wouldn't have opened her mouth back in 1984 to this day, you still might not know that Dennis was in Florida. That is the truth. Yeah, we would have not have known that he was even in Florida. But then on the other hand, she feels like she doesn't need to tell Melissa and Jason that their mother didn't abandon them, but she actually disappeared. It's it's kind of a unique dynamic there. I agree. <laughs> I don't know the answers to that. I hope to one day get them, though. <laughs> okay. So what was going on when you, in 1997, you ended up meeting Melissa, you ended up meeting Jason at some point, I'm going to guess shortly after that. What was going on in their lives at that time? Um, Melissa was a young mother. She had just had a a toddler, um, not even a year old yet. Um, she hadn't been married for very long and she hadn't been out of high school for very long. Um, Jason, I don't want to use the word homeless, um, but that's exactly what he was. He was couch jumping from people's houses to the other. He didn't own any clothing or anything. Um, he had quit school because he was being teased at school because he didn't have clothes or could, could get a haircut. So he was pretty much just being a street kid. And you ended up all having kind of, I guess, what you might call uh, a family. Maybe I should have started with this this question. How did Dennis feel about you finally getting in contact? Because, I mean, at that point, he would know that his kids were going to find out he'd been lying to them all these years. How did he feel about all this? Did you ever get wind of that? That's kind of a weird topic because... When we first made contact with the kids after all those years, you know, we weren't sure how to approach them. We didn't want to go in and start bad-mouthing their dad, you know. I mean, that's their dad. We didn't know how they felt about it, and we didn't want to ruin our our potential relationship with them from the get-go. So we kind of were standoffish when it came to talking about their dad. When we showed them the news articles of Linda missing, and all of them, it states that Dennis was a prime suspect. We let them form their own opinion, and I know that their dad knew that we were in town that day, but I'm not sure what he was saying to Melissa. I don't know if he was telling her that we're lying, or she never she never told us about that, and she still hasn't to this day. And neither you nor maybe anybody else in your family uh, got to talk to Dennis? At that time, 1997 no. or after that, he kind of avoided you or you didn't want to? or Yeah, we've never spoke with him. Um, 
our hatred by that time for him <laughs> has had gotten pretty big. So it was just better to avoid any contact. Um, we did have to see him though when uh, Jason got sick. Um, but there was no actual contact, you know, no conversation between us and them. Now you ended up having what you might call a little bit of a family reunion sometime after that. And, and what happened after that? Yes. We, after, I guess after Melissa and Jason had realized that they had like this old other whole side of the family that wanted to be in their life. Um, we had invited them down to Florida, uh, to come stay for a couple of weeks. And we had arranged for a family reunion at the same time because we had a lot of aunts and uncles and cousins and stuff that that knew them before Linda had come up missing that, you know, were excited to see them again after all these years. So they came to Florida and um, we had a big family reunion and everything was good. And the son, Jason, ended up staying in Florida. He didn't want to go back to Tennessee. And he moved in and stayed with my mom. She taught him how to read. She put him in high school. He graduated with the class that he would have originally graduated with. And right out of high school, he joined the military. He did a couple tours over in Iraq. He turned into a very good person, a good productive person. So you, so you and your mother, maybe in particular, you know, kind of just turned his life right around. Oh, yeah. I couldn't imagine what his life would have been like if he had not made that decision to stay in Florida. Because he had, he had no help in Tennessee. When he came to Florida, he had on a pair of shorts and a pair of shoes that he had borrowed from somebody, and that was all. He had no shirt. He had nothing. And and how old was he when he he came to Florida? Was he he must have been born in what like 1981 or 1982? So he might have been 16, 15, 16, something like yep. that. I'm guessing 15. He was at that awkward young boy age, you know. And, and couldn't read, but your mother took him under her wing, and she got him graduated. And I guess in a couple of years. Yeah, and he, it, yeah, and we were all so proud of him of what he, I mean, because he had the potential. He just didn't have the means. Right. And you said he was in the military and he served a couple tours of Iraq. He did. And he got out. He did. And, um, but then unfortunately things kind of went downhill for him. What happened? He, his, his goals were to get out of the military because while he was over in Iraq, he was, you know, putting his money up. So his original goals was to get out of the military and he was going to open up his own mechanic shop because that's what he did. That's what he did in the military. Well, he got out of the military and um, got diagnosed with colon cancer. And he fought the colon cancer. And when he went for his next scan, they he found out he had lung cancer. So he dealt with probably about three years of fighting cancer. So his dreams of opening his own shop was on hold and he was doing everything he could. He was, he was wanting to do experimental stuff, you know, to beat the cancer, but he didn't make it. And 
he died at the age of 28, maybe 29. In 2010. Yep. That'd be tough. I mean, you go from, granted, I mean, you got to know him for about 12 years, (laughs) I guess you'd say. Yeah. But you saw this guy, this kid who came to Florida with virtually with nothing, make something of himself, and then his life yep. is extend, extinguished decades before it should have been. Yes, and his personality was a lot like Linda's, so it was it was nice to have him around because it was it was kind of comforting, you know, because you kind of felt like Linda was with you. His mannerisms, uh, the way he laughed, his sense of humor. Everything was just like her. Soft spoken, easy going. <laughs> and once he moved to Florida, he wanted nothing to do with his father, right? No, he did not. Did he didn't want anything that he, he still had a relationship with his sister. Um, you know, the typical phone calls and and checking on each other, but he had no desire to be back in that situation again. Did Dennis come to Jason's funeral? Yes, he did. And um, I, I'm guessing he just tried to keep it cordial. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, it, out of respect for Jason, you know, it, it was a very hard thing to deal with, you know, because this was the first time I was seeing this man since 1984. And I had built up such great anger for him. I had built up a lot of anger for him over them years. So... I could only imagine what my mom was feeling. Right. And what about Melissa? You got to meet her for the first time in 1997 and she didn't move to Florida. Uh, she had, you know, she had some still some connections in Tennessee and she was a little bit further along in her life than Jason was. But mm-hmm. uh, have you kept in contact with her? Did she keep it? You know, once she found out, found out that her father had lied to her for all those years, did she continue to keep in contact with them? Um, what was her status and what is her status today? Yes, yeah, she kept her relationship with her father. Um, I don't know exactly how it was affected because, like I said, we didn't. We didn't discuss that part of it with her. We just discussed her life. Um, I keep in contact with her now. I mean, we we send each other messages over Facebook, happy birthday, Merry Christmas, you know, love you, stuff like that. If I get an article about her mother, you know, I send it to her. Recently, I had discovered a picture of her mother that none of us had ever seen. And I sent a copy of it to her. And she was very appreciative of it. I mean. There's no doubt that she misses misses her mom, but I'm not sure how that changed her relationship with her dad. I can't I can't understand that. Yeah, you don't really know because you never spoke to him, and of course you never saw the two of them. You know, you didn't really keep in touch with both of them together. Who knows what conversations they were having? I do know that at some period uh, after we found her again. He was living with her, so it, I don't think there was much of a problem in their relationship. So Linda disappears in 1984. You have this pretty big year of 1997 when you're reunited with her two children. But more recently, have there's been, has there been any action on Linda's case over the years? Have any new leads been established? Has anything been done? What you can what can you tell the listeners about that? I guess at a certain point. Um, 
after my mom constantly pushing with law enforcement to keep her case, you know, being looked at, I guess I kind of took it over <laughs> at some point and I started getting involved in it and uh, started talking to law enforcement and trying to push stuff to happen as technology was becoming available that wasn't available back then. And uh, one of the things that I had done was I had made contact with law enforcement. Um, we've had many investigators on the case change, you know, over the years as they get promoted or retire. But I, I was pushing to, to have the evidence possibly looked at again because of I knew the technology that we had, you know, modern as opposed to 1984 had changed. And one of the things that they did was they decided to, they had went and started looking for the evidence and they found the blood sample from the mattress in the evidence cooler in the evidence room. And they had decided that they were going to send it off to be tested. From what I understand, they could test the blood, I guess, to see if it was nosebleed or, you know, different. I'm not sure how that works. I'm not very scientific, but they wanted to run tests on the blood that was off the mattress when and the hair. When the evidence came back and they informed us that the blood sample was too degraded after all those years to get anything from it, it was kind of pushed aside. The hair that they had in the bag, the only thing that I was ever told about that was that it was not just Linda's hair. But it didn't lead to anywhere, you know. Um, I know that they're saying that it was Dennis's hair since he was a prime suspect, but by him had been living in the house previously, it wasn't necessarily evidence because his excuse would be, yeah, there's going to be stuff from him in that house. And then you also got uh, some cadaver dogs involved. What can you tell listeners about that? Yeah, um, every once in a while, you, you have to, when you're dealing with a situation like this, what I have found is you always have this feeling that you need to be doing something. So we, st we started trying to get her, her flyers out there, Facebooking. You know, we created a Facebook page. Um, of course, we talked to anybody that will listen. Um, we decided we were going to have a memorial for her. Uh, but we didn't want it to be just for her. We wanted it to be for all missing people. We wanted other families to come together in our local area from our counties to be involved in it too. And uh, so we had a big memorial for her, and that's actually where I met Chip Campbell's family. Um, we kind of, <laughs> since we were going through a similar situation, it kind of put us together in a group that, we were the only ones in, you know, we were the only ones that understood what the others were going through. Um, we had the memorial. Uh, it didn't bring up any new leads. I hoped that it would, didn't really expect it to. But um, it also got law enforcement kicked back in to, to, to try things again. Um, they had went back to Tennessee and they were going to try to talk to Dennis again. And um, they went to where he worked at, and they wanted to question him. And when they arrived there, uh, the only thing that he asked them was, do they have a warrant for his arrest? And when they said no, he turned around and walked away. So they never had the opportunity to re-question him or ask him new questions.
and it got them uh, wanting to see where any other places they could have searched that they hadn't before. So they were willing to send cadaver dogs to a location that they wanted to check. And we had to set up an arrangement for the cadaver dogs to go out there. They had two different teams. And uh, they went out there and they searched this place called Lake Silver, which is just a mile or two from where Linda had lived. And it was an area that Dennis was familiar with. And the cadaver dogs had made a hit. It was a pretty exciting moment for our family, which probably for most people, it's hard to understand. You know, you're thinking that's not something you want is, you know, to find somebody's body. But we've already accepted that she's no longer with us. So our only goal now is to find her body. Um, when they discovered that the area that the cadaver dogs were looking looking in was too big of an area to do any kind of excavation, they wanted to bring in a more, I guess, experienced set of cadaver dogs to kind of narrow the area, area down. And this was like a couple months later, so the temperatures had started getting colder. When the second set of cadaver dogs went in, um, it was it was a cool morning and they didn't get a they didn't get a scent on anything and that kind of just stopped right there because you know the funding for that uh you can't just keep setting that up and sending the dogs out everywhere because it's costing a lot of people money there's a lot of people involved in it from several counties not just our county all right and uh the panhandle of florida yeah, and if we're going to take for granted that maybe Dennis had something to do with and into Mississippi, it's a huge area. I mean, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, in their questioning with him, um, where they were able to verify what time he got to Florida and what time he got back to Mississippi, he has four hours that he can't account for. So he could have gone yeah. anywhere. Could have gone anywhere. Yeah. I mean, and you can look at it anyway. He, he could have fought with her for two hours and then drove her away for two hours or he could have fought with her for three hours or he could have fought with her four hours and done something with her on the way back to Meridian. It's, it's a, a big area to, to try to figure it out. Right. Where is Dennis now? He has passed away. He's been dead for about two or three years now. He died of cancer by himself in a hotel room. So what you would call the main suspect in your sister's disappearance is no longer here. I uh, didn't have any sort of deathbed confession or anything like that. Uh, no, I to was you... told that. Please. I was told that Melissa, you know, confronted him and asked him. And he basically acted like he didn't know what she was talking about. So no deathbed confession. No, he never confided in anybody else, any friends, his parents, uh, the, nope. the sister who, uh, you know, ratted him out so many deck, you know, 20 years, you know, I, I guess it would be 20 years before that the only or thing 30 that years before that, that. Yeah. The only things that I can find that he ever may have hinted about any of this was to his coworkers who were also his partners in drug use. 
and he had made a few comments to them, and that's in the police report. I don't personally know what was said, but I, I read what was in the police report. He had made comments about alligators. But on the other hand, there was a story that you told me, and I hope you can pass along to the listeners, about something that Melissa said. I, I'm not sure when she said this, but it had something to do with whether it was a dream or reality. What can you tell listeners about that? Did you hear this firsthand? Do you remember yes. when this happened? What can you tell the listeners? Yes, it was a conversation we were having with her um, right after we had located them in 1997. Um, because in her mind, she was trying to still figure things out. You know, now that she had found out this new information about her mother missing, it got her to thinking, you know, what were her memories? Um, she had told us that she didn't know if it was a memory or if it was a dream, that something had been bothering her and that she had always remembered it. And when we further questioned her about it, she was kind of vague. Um, the only thing that she would say was that her and Jason were in the truck and she saw her mom and dad fighting outside the truck, you know, like arguing and getting loud. Dennis wouldn't let them out of the truck and they were upset because they wanted to see their mother. Well, the next thing that she says is, I can't believe he put the bag in the front of the truck with us. Well, when you ask her what was in the bag, she tells you she don't know. Well, then she says, the next thing she remembers is she's waking up again. She had went to sleep and she's waking up again and the truck's not moving and her dad's not in the truck and they're like in the middle of nowhere. So she gets up and looks out the window of the truck and she sees her dad down in like a ditch and he's dirty. So immediately my mom contacts law enforcement thinking maybe she was there the night, you know, and saw something. So they bring in a hypnosis. Um, I didn't witness this meeting with the hypnosis, but my mother did. And she said that when they hypnotized Melissa, that she repeated the same story, basically exactly the same way. Um, but her being five years old, it was like talking to a five-year-old. There was no way for her to to say any landmarks or or anything. So it it didn't pan out for anything. It it didn't. We don't know if it really happened or or where it was. It could have been real. It could have been imagined. It could be a story. There's really, there's really no way to tell. No. Nope. But to me, if if she's thinking that along those lines, then she is thinking also like the rest of us, you know, that her dad did something. It's interesting that she has that story because all those years you know, she had thought that her mother abandoned her. But, you know, at some point, uh, you know, becoming a teenager and maybe having that memory, you know, might occur to her. You know, maybe that's not the case. Maybe what I'm actually remembering of this vision that I have is actually of my mother being murdered by my father. That's what I'm thinking. That's why she said that she couldn't decide. She didn't know if it was a memory or 
or if it had really happened because you know her whole life she's thinking her mom abandoned her so if she's having that memory she's not connecting it with anything but after she's notified that her mom is missing then it's making sense to her yeah her being five years old you know she's she's not paying attention to what road she's on or what's nearby so it really isn't much help other than that's a pretty horrible thing that if that is what happens that he would subject his children to that. Yes. You probably got to know uh, Jason decently well, being that he came to Florida. At some point, did he absolutely suspect that his father did something to his mother? Did you yes. two talk? Did you two talk about it? Yes. He 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 believed that his his father killed his mother. He didn't have any facts. Uh, he just knew it by comments that he had heard his dad make and, you know, just the lying and, and how he was treated growing up. And what about Melissa? I mean, of course, Jason, he did not continue a relationship with his father, but she continued to uh, communicate with her father and, in fact, him living with her. Um, do you think that she suspected something? Do you think she I does? Think she's, she still, she's still alive. Does she, does she think that? Do you think? I think she thinks that he did something or why else would she have confronted him on his deathbed? But I think it's something she doesn't want to have to deal with. And in fact, she was probably, she's maybe, would you say that she to this day is maybe a little defensive regarding her father? I'm not real sure. Like I said, uh, with her, my relationship with her has been way different than it was with Jason. With Jason, I felt like I could talk to him about how I felt. With Melissa, I've never had that opportunity to tell her, you know, how I felt about the whole situation. She knows that our whole family always believed that Dennis did something, but it wasn't something that we discussed with her because we didn't want it to distance her from us to have a relationship currently. Right. Right. We didn't want to lose her again. Of course. Of course. How did this affect your family? You know, 1984, you'd already said earlier that, you know, your mother just kept being a parent, kept being a parent to, you know, the you and your three other siblings. But um, how did it overall affect what, what happened in your house? Um, I'm not sure how it affected her. I mean... It, it, that's kind of a hard question to answer because, I mean, at, at my age, this has always been something that's been in my life. So I don't know what any different life would be to compare it to. Um, I know that it caused me to be overprotective of my child. Um, I, I was always in the fear that somebody was going to take him, you know, and that has a lot to do with the experience that I went through with my sister, but it also has a lot to do with what I was finding out as I was investigating missing people. I was realizing how many missing people and children there are out there. And it was very scary. Very scary. At that time, the internet was becoming, you know, accessible. And I had access to seeing all these cases that I would have never had access to before. Yeah. 
And you had a you had one of your brothers who was especially close. Maybe it's the one who's mentioned in the note uh, found it in is. her uh, in her house. Uh, he took it very hard. He one did. brother in um, particular. Yeah, I can't speak for him, but I know that he carried a lot of guilt um, because he knew Dennis, and he had been around them a lot, and. He feels like he wasn't there when she needed him. And he he carried that note around with him in his wallet for years. And I can't tell you exactly how it affected his life because I don't think he knows any different life, you know. And how old how old was he when she disappeared? In his early twenties. So he was he very was, very close to her in age. Yeah, he was probably three years younger than she was. So he was probably about 21, almost 22. You haven't talked to too much about your father and all of this. How did this affect him? Um, me and Linda have a different father. I didn't even know that she had a different father until she was graduating from high school. Um, we were always raised up that my dad was her dad. They even went by my dad's last name, so we had no clue. Um, he was never in her life. Uh, he lived in Colorado. Um, they didn't go visit him. He didn't write letters, nothing like that. Uh, my dad, he let my mom handle it. You know, it was, it was pretty, it was traumatic for everybody. So even though your, your, uh, Linda was not your father's biological daughter, though, he still took it very hard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was constantly the same as my mother trying to push the case forward, because if you if you don't, the case gets put down and then, the, you know, the newer cases are what's being worked on and the older cases get pushed to the side. So you have to keep keep pushing them, keep pulling that file out. That's and right. He, he was involved in that a lot too, keeping that file pulled out. That's right. Asking questions, you know. That's right. Now, as you mentioned just a few minutes ago, you're you got involved in missing persons cases. Uh, tell the listeners about that. What you got involved with uh, personally when you became an adult, and like you said, when the internet came around, what have you personally done? Not just on your sister's case, but on other cases. What have you done? Well, once I had discovered the internet and and all the possibilities that I had with that, um. My first thought was to, of course, you know, you want to think of the, the better outcome. So my first thought was trying to find amnesia victims. You know, maybe she's got amnesia and she's in a hospital somewhere. So I started trying to research that. And um, when I saw that that wasn't really working out and there wasn't a whole lot on the Internet about amnesia victims, I started running across. And at the time, I didn't know what John Doe's and Jane Doe's were. But I started running across Jane Doe's and John Doe's. I had discovered a website called the Doe Network, which was the only missing and unidentified website that I had knew of at that time. I got very involved in that website. I became a volunteer in that group. I spent many, many nights looking at any Jane Doe's that could have possibly been my sister um just to rule that out um 
as I was looking at all these different cases, I had realized that I could be helping other families too. Um, because I was, you know, going through all these missing person cases along with uh, the, the Jane Doe's. I was meeting family members of other missing people. So I started turning my time into looking for other missing people also, trying to match them with unidentified bodies. I did that for 13 years every night, all night long. <laughs> I guess you could um, say I was obsessed with it. I mean, I really, I probably ne neglected my own family being so into that, you know. I, I just, I wanted to help somebody else, not just my family. Right. After I had right. after I had exhausted what I felt like I had seen every Jane Doe from Crestview, Florida to Meridian, Mississippi, I started backing off of it a little bit. I had to, you know, I had to I had to go on with my life and my family. So I just kind of stepped away from it a little bit. And then in the last few years I created that NamUs site. I don't know if you know that database. Sure. Sure. Um, sure. Started, you know, looking through those, which are a lot of the cases are the same ones off of the Dunn Network. But it was easier accessibility to get on there and, you know, look at the cases than it was for the Doe Network. Um, my sister and I uh, decided that we wanted Linda's DNA put into the database to be compared against, you know, any bodies that are found. And we were really hoping that it would get a hit, you know, that maybe she had already been found, you know, and she wasn't lost somewhere, but that hasn't been the case so far. But like I said, that was the beginning of this year that we turned her DNA into the database. And I just recently checked on her case on the name of site and it, it says test complete. Exactly what, what that means, I don't know, but we're hoping maybe we'll get a call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I hope so, too. And I, I know so that too. some people can't, you know, they're like, why would you want that call? But it's better to know than not to know. That's what every family says. Yeah. That's what every, that's what every family says. It, it really is. I mean, I can accept that she's no longer with us. I just can't accept that I don't know where she's at. Where can people find you online? Um, Cheryl, on where are the place you're on Facebook and do you have a do you yes. have a Facebook page for Linda? I do. I have a Facebook page for Linda and I have a Facebook page for myself. My sister also has a Facebook page. Um, if you go to Linda's Facebook page, um, you can kind of see how our family dealt with it over the last few years, over the comments that we've made when we were going through birthdays and, and Christmas and stuff. You know, my mom has passed, so I go to her page quite a bit to see what my mom had wrote on her feelings and how she was dealing with it. And uh, I think it's a good thing for anybody that's going through this kind, of, this kind of experience in their life to to go check it out because there's a lot of experience in this. What's the name of the Facebook page for Linda? What's it called? Linda K. Carroll. Linda K. Carroll. It's it's uh, 
it's more like a personal page. It's not so much like find yeah. find Linda K. Carroll or Linda Carroll missing or something like that. It's just Linda K. Carroll. Yeah, I had created it before they started branching out on Facebook. <laughs> oh, okay. With these with these other pages, mm-hmm. and I've just never changed it. I just kept it like it was her page. Okay, and I will surely uh, link to that with all the publicity that I'll, marketing I'll be doing for this episode. And of course, it'll be linked to in the Unfound Podcast discussion group on Facebook and and, and Twitter and everywhere else. Of course, make sure that people go, join, like, share, everything that you can do there. And yes. great. Um, any last words, Cheryl, before we, wanted, uh, can, before we conclude this interview? I just want to tell you I appreciate everything that you're doing for our family and the other families that have, you've been helping. I know, I know that you know, you've done some work for Kip Campbell's family, and mm-hmm. that, to me, now they're our family. They're in our family now. Um, I hope they get closure. I hope that they're not waiting 32, 33 years from now trying yeah. to find Chip. Yeah. We've yep. gone on searches with them and we'll continue to go on searches with them. Anything that we can do to help another family out, even if it's just listening and giving our experience of what we've been through. Yeah. I would be willing to help. Cheryl? I appreciate you being on this episode of Unfound. Thank you. You're welcome. And that was my interview with Cheryl Wheeler, sister of Linda K. Carroll. I appreciate her being on this episode. I also need to add, and if you're a member of the Unfound Podcast discussion group, you already know this. I had some technical difficulties recording Cheryl's interview, and she was very gracious in agreeing to do the entire interview again. I deeply thank her for that. And I also need to thank Lisa Kassoon, sister of Chip Campbell and a former guest on Unfound, for making Cheryl's interview possible. Thank you, Lisa. Although I posed some other possibilities to Cheryl regarding Linda's disappearance, it's hard to imagine that it was anybody else other than Dennis. I suppose stranger things have happened, but that he tried to lie to police about where he was that night certainly doesn't make him look innocent. He had motive, opportunity, and the physical ability to make Linda disappear. What played out that night is something we see to this day regarding contentious relationships, and the violence that happens between strained couples is not going to cease anytime soon. But what should end today, right at this second, is what I talked about to start this episode. What should stop is people who don't want to get involved. Those people who believe it's somebody else's problem. People who take for granted that somebody else will do the right thing. It's all of our jobs to do the right thing. And not to suffer from bystander effect. Had one of those neighbors just gone to a window, he or she could have done something. Even describing the vehicle could have gone a long way. Whatever they would have seen would surely have more answers now than we do. And who knows, maybe would even find out that Dennis didn't have anything to do with Linda's disappearance. This disappearance also illustrates something else besides the bystander effect that is maybe hard for us to understand. And it's something we see on many episodes of Dateline and other shows. The concept of children sticking by a parent who has killed the other parent. Yes, Jason did not. But Melissa continued to have a relationship with her dad despite facts that don't run in her father's favor. 
hard to understand. And it's a topic that I would surely like to explore in future episodes. But for now, I'll leave the rest of the analyzing and theorizing up to you. And that's the end of the program. If you found this episode informative, please go to Podomatic, Stitcher, and or iTunes and give Unfound a five-star review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound. Unfound.